The wait is over. I am finally back and none too soon because police departments across the country are under fire figuratively and literally, and that includes right here in Knoxville, Tennessee. I'm back. My name is Brady Smith, and this is Principles and Party. Well, guys, thank you for being so patient with the upload of this episode. Law School has eaten up a lot of my time, and what little free time I do have, I use to simply get my thoughts together. But in my absence, a lot has happened, and that includes several new incidents between police and various uh, people across the country, and of course, the very famous Derek Chauvin trial has been finally concluded. I'm going to talk about all these things, and I'm also going to get into some of the new policy decisions, uh, including DC's statehood and why I think that's bad, all coming up. Now, you have to be living under a rock to not know about all of the various shootings that have gone on in these past couple of weeks, really. It seems like clockwork, one after the other. And I want to state right away that all these shootings are terrible. They're, they're all terrible. It, it's unfortunate that these people got shot. It's unfortunate that these people died. I don't take joy. I don't take pride in these people getting killed. However, I think it's important to realize that some of these killings were justified from the stance of the police officers. And it's just as simple as that. And I'm going to walk through kind of each one, um, and then I do want to touch on the, the Chauvin trial as well. So the first one, and the reason I'm talking about this one is because this one broke the most recently um, from a national standpoint, was the, uh, the Micaiah Bryant uh, killing. Which, uh, for those of you who don't know, she was a she was a 16 year old in Columbus, Ohio, and she was uh, uh, about to stab another girl. And if you don't believe me, you can just uh, go to YouTube and, and type in Micaiah Bryan. You can see the footage for yourself. It's the first thing that pops up. There's this girl that's pinned against a car, and Micaiah Bryant has a knife. You can clearly see it on the body cam footage. And she goes to stab this girl, and the police shoot her. Now I want to note it that a lot of people are, and frankly, a lot of ignorant people, in my opinion, are talking about how, oh, well, the, the police officer shouldn't have, should have done this. They should have, they should have shot in the air. They should have, uh, you know, talked her down or anything like that. And I would just like to point out that you can, again, you all can go and see this video for yourself if you don't believe me. From the time that the police pull up to the time that shots are fired, it's about nine seconds. So the police get out. And they talk with her for like nine seconds. She's in mid-lunge for this knife, and they shoot her. Now tell me, who in nine seconds can talk down a child? Can talk down anyone? Because frankly, if someone can talk down someone in nine seconds, then they are the world's greatest psychologist, and they have reached Sigmund Freud levels of psychology proportions. It's just not possible. Yet I don't understand how all these people in the media, how all these BLM protesters are upset with this. This is a black woman about to stab another black woman, and the police are doing their jobs and protecting and serving. In their title, protect and serve, this this is probably the most clear-cut definition of protect that I can think of. You have a person in mid-stab of another person, and they save that person by shooting the, the, the knife-wielding person. I don't understand how this is of any controversy other than the fact that there are people who want to use this for political purposes because they they want to uh, use the police and use the American system as a whole as bad. 
So they want to say that America is systemically racist, and they're using the police departments to do that. And this cannot be more evident than the the Chauvin verdict outcome. Now, I don't like Derek Chauvin. I think he was a garbage police officer. However, and I watched a lot of this trial, not once. The prosecution made no argument, no alleged anything that the killing was a racist killing. But yet that's what everyone takes away from it. Everyone takes away that Chauvin killed George Floyd because Chauvin was a racist. That was never brought up in trial. Not once. Not once. Yet that's what everyone's taking away from it. Now, I could go on for a very long time as to why I don't think that the Chauvin trial was fairly decided. And I will because uh, I want to use some of my my newly found law school uh skills and put them to the test for you guys today. So reading the charges, there were three of them. There was murder in second degree, murder in the third degree, and uh, third degree manslaughter. I could see how a manslaughter charge sticks. I can't see how either of the murder charges sticks. And I'll explain to you why in a moment. But first, I just want to point out that this trial should never have been held in Minneapolis. I'm not the only one who's saying this. Many other commentators have mentioned this. You can't get a fair jury in Minneapolis. Why can't you get a fair jury in Minneapolis? You might think, well, the whole world is looking at Minneapolis right now, looking at these 12 jurors in particular. What happens if it leaks that one of these jurors voted to acquit? You think that the community of Minneapolis is going to be very forgiving? No, no, they're not. No, they're not. How do I know? Because uh, former cops, um, they've had, you know, pig heads, you know, dropped on their front porch and, you know, their house smeared with blood. Um, but yeah, I'm sure that the city of Minneapolis will be totally forgiving to a juror who who votes to acquit. Furthermore, let's just say that they they didn't, these names didn't leak. Do you think that there wouldn't be mass riots in Minneapolis right now if Chauvin was acquitted? And maybe those jurors frequent those establishments. Maybe they even own one of those establishments. Do you think they want that on their conscience, that the whole city of Minneapolis is now on fire because they voted to acquit? Yeah, I'm thinking that had something to do with their decision and the outcome. Just saying. So this this case should have never, ever, ever taken place in Minneapolis. No, it should have been transferred. This is a classic textbook definition of venue change, where venue is improper and needs to be sent somewhere else. So that's the first thing I wanted to touch on. But anyway, back to the charges against Derek Chauvin. And I do want to correct myself. It was second-degree manslaughter, not not third-degree manslaughter. But first, second-degree murder charge. So in order to convict Chauvin of a second-degree murder charge, the jurors had to believe uh, – well, and the prosecutors had to, to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. Remember, that's the standard here, reasonable doubt, that Chauvin caused Floyd's death while committing or attempting to commit a related felony. In this case – the felony was third-degree assault. Third-degree assault doesn't apply here. It, it really doesn't. That would imply that they intentionally, in this case, Chauvin intentionally uh, caused him substantial bodily harm uh, in an unconsented way. And honestly, that's every single police encounter, like p- police arrest ever, is that you are causing bodily harm to someone through an unconsented touch. So 
police have immunity in this regard. And based on the testimony given by both the prosecution and the defense, the move that Chauvin used was a legal move by the police department. And if you're going to use the substantial bodily harm method when someone's resisting arrest, well, then any single criminal could use that as an excuse. They could say, oh, look, he he did a felony assault charge on me because he, he unconsentedly uh, touched me in a way that was intentional and caused me substantial bodily harm as I was resisting arrest. No, 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 no. Third degree assault does not apply here. And if third degree assault does not apply here, then second degree murder does not apply here. So that's why I don't think that that one applies. Now, moving on to the third degree murder. To convict someone of third degree murder, the jury has to believe and the prosecution must prove beyond a reasonable doubt. Again, that's the standard, not preponderance of the evidence, which means more likely than not, it has to be beyond a reasonable doubt that Chauvin caused Floyd's death during an act that was eminently dangerous to others and invindicating, or sorry, with a depraved mind. So here's, there are two things wrong with this. Proving a depraved mind is almost impossible to do. Usually to prove a depraved mind, there has to be either a smoking gun, meaning something that specifically says, hey, look, I have a depraved mind. Or you have to have a vast amount of external uh, professional opinions on, on such a matter. It's very, very hard to prove and was not proven at trial because they didn't really talk about depraved mind. Also, the second thing is that uh, it says eminently dangerous to others, not other, meaning plural, meaning there has to be more than one. An example of this would be like if I took a gun and I went down to Market Square in Knoxville and I just shot randomly into the crowd. That's a danger to others because there's a lot of people there. It doesn't matter that I uh, didn't intend to hit any single one of them. It's the fact that I'm doing it, that I'm eminently dangerous to others, not other, others. So for that reason, third degree murder, in my opinion, doesn't apply. And I don't see how that's possible. So second degree manslaughter, though, this one, in my opinion, is more believable. Um, would I have convicted him of it? I don't know. But I think a jury could reasonably come to the conclusion uh, that this is possible. So to convict Chauvin of a second degree manslaughter, the jurors had to be convinced beyond reasonable doubt. Again, that's still the standard in all criminal trials that Chauvin caused Floyd's death by culpable negligence meaning that he created an unreasonable risk and consciously took a chance of causing death or great bodily harm. And this one, I can understand. Um, I don't think I need to explain it too, too much because a lot of people have already seen the video. A lot of people have made their own opinions. Um, but culpable negligence is definitely applicable in this case. So, yes, I'll let that one stand. Um, but the other two charges, I don't see how those could possibly be applicable in this case, except for the fact that maybe the jury had some pressure. But that's not up to me. The defense still has the chance of appeal, and we'll see how the appellate process goes. If the judge thinks that the jury was possibly compromised, then they will grant an appeal. And if not, then it's possible that all 12 jurors legitimately thought that all three charges were applicable. And if they legitimately thought all three charges were applicable to Chauvin, then so be it. It, it's justice, you know, the, it's ultimately up to the jury to decide these things. And if they saw without a reasonable doubt that all three apply, then so be it. 
I don't think that the murder charges apply because I don't think that Chauvin was a substantial factor in the death of George Floyd because of the amount of drugs that he was on at that time, which was, I believe, three times the amount of uh, the lethal amount of fentanyl in his system. So needless to say, I don't see reasonable doubt. Remember, that's the standard beyond a reasonable doubt, not a likelihood, not a preponderance of the evidence, not clear and convincing evidence beyond a reasonable doubt. I don't see with reasonable doubt being the standard that the murder charges apply. I simply don't. Sorry, gang, but them be the facts and facts are stubborn things. But see, it didn't matter the outcome of the Chauvin trial because there was always going to be a narrative in the heads of the Democratic and media higher-ups. And that was the system is racist no matter how the outcome of this case came out. Now, if Derek Chauvin was acquitted, that was an easy one because they would just say, oh, look, the system is so racist. This this racist cop clearly got off when he should have been convicted. Therefore, we can, uh, we can show that the American system is racist and we need all this change. Now, if he got... Uh, found proven guilty on all these charges, which he was, they could still spin that in such a way that, well, justice may have been done today, may have. Some of them aren't even saying that justice was done today. They should have said, they say things like, oh, he should have gotten this charge, you should have gotten that charge. But they'll say, well, you know, true justice hasn't been done today. True justice would be this. True justice would be that. And therefore, the outcome of the case is irrelevant. And that's pretty much what you've been hearing all the time from all these these higher ups, and they've moved on to the next thing. They've moved on to Dante, Don, sorry, Dante Wright, or they've moved on to uh, Makai Bryant, or all these other people because they're using these people as tools. They don't care that these people die. They don't care how these people die. They're just using them as tools to promote a narrative. How do I know this? Well, there's a lot of murders in Chicago. I don't know the exact number on the top of my head. But there's a lot of murders in Chicago. There's a lot of murders in Baltimore. There's a lot of murders in Los Angeles. And a lot of those murders are one race killing another member of that same race, whether it be black on black, whether it be Hispanic on Hispanic. It doesn't really matter. Whether it even be white on white. A lot of the murders, a lot of murders occur in these big cities. And I'll get to Baltimore later because, oh, I got a lot to talk about Baltimore. But a lot of these killings are one race on another race. Do you ever hear the media talking about that? I don't. If a black person kills another black person, I never hear about that on the news. It's only ever if a white police officer kills a minority person. That's the only time you hear that. Why is that the only time you hear that? Because that's the only way that the media can get their narrative across. See, they use the police as representations of the American system. They don't like the American system. They want control. The general notion of the American system is you can do what you want. You have freedoms. You have liberties. You can do this. You can do that. The democratic narrative is no, 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 no. No, you need control in this area of your life. You need control in that area of your life. You need control in all these areas of your life. So the general notion of the American system and the democratic dream for America clash. So they use the police force as a representation of that system, which they don't like. So why do they do it only when when minorities get shot is because they're trying to hold on to their minority voter base. They're trying to appeal to their voter base saying, oh, look, look, this system is bad and this system hurts you. So you should vote with us because we will help make a better system. That's the only time they care. It's so bad. Oh my goodness. There's so many shootings in places like Chicago and places like Baltimore. It's gotten so bad that Family Guy, Family Guy made a joke about this. 
in one of their episodes. In one of the episodes, they had uh, the son of Cleveland Brown. Cleveland Brown is a a major character in the show. He's a black character in the show. And his son um, is walking around kind of like uh, it gives a Trayvon Martin vibe. And Peter Griffin, the main character of the show, he goes up and he accidentally shoots the son. And after a huge confrontation, the dad realizes how how bad the situation comes and he makes a joke he goes out to the media because the media is all on it because it's a white person shooting a black person and he goes out and he says i cleveland brown a black man shot cleveland brown jr another black man and the next thing the media just skirts away and everyone's gone and the peter's like wait wait a minute what happened and cleveland says you want to make the media disappear just mention black on black crime it's as simple as that when it's a black person killing another black person, the media don't care because it doesn't promote their narrative. And that's all they care about is promoting their narrative. So when every time you hear about a George Floyd or Dante Wright, they're just using that for a political gain. They couldn't care less about the person who died. And to show you just what I mean, there are some instances where we see police with black people that I personally have said, whoa, that's not right. So one of them was Michael Scott in South Carolina. Anyone remember him? Mm, no. I uh, wonder why. Well, it's because everyone pr- pretty clearly realized that this was an unjustified shooting. So what happened in that case was his body, there's a camera footage on this where Michael Scott's being arrested in South Carolina. He gets up and he runs away, which is a bad idea in general. But he, he runs away after being put on the, I think, the trunk of the car and handcuffed. He starts running away and the police officer immediately takes out his gun and shoots him. And everyone, rightfully so, said, whoa, well, that's clearly an overreaction. That should not have been your first go-to. The man was handcuffed. He was running away. You shouldn't have taken out your gun and shot him like that. Another one was Eric Garland in New York. Anyone remember him? No, because his story doesn't fit the media narrative. Where he was selling Lucy's, for those of you who don't know, Lucy's are singular cigarettes on the street. Wasn't supposed to do that. So the police come up, talk with him. They get into an altercation, and the police uses an illegal, illegal, not a legal, an illegal move on Eric Garland to take him down to which he chokes and dies. Anyone talking about him? No. No. Why? Because everyone agreed that that was bad. That was a bad killing, that the cop was in the wrong. But see, when the cop is clearly in the wrong and everyone agrees, that doesn't that doesn't help the de- democratic narrative. Because the goal is that the police are supposed to be racist and that um, the American system doesn't acknowledge their racism. So when everyone comes out and says the cop was in the wrong, well, there's really nothing to argue there because everyone agrees. And the whole point of the democratic narrative is to say that, oh, look, the police are racist and the American system promotes their racism. So that's why you hear about some killings over other killings. It's simply whatever fits the democratic narrative. You remember, uh, uh, I'm probably going to butcher his name, uh, Ahmed Arbery, Georgia, where these two guys came up to uh, Arbery while he was exploring a construction site, which, by the way, not a crime, and they come up and they kill him. Yeah, you you hear anyone talking about him now? No. Why? Because everyone agreed that those two guys were in the wrong and should not have killed him. But you don't hear about that story. Why? Because it doesn't fit the narrative. Sorry. So anytime that uh, these politicians in Washington – that express so much sympathy and empathy and demand justice for the people. Yeah, they're full of it. They're full of it. They're lying to you because they want a narrative and they're going to get it however they can. And if they can do it on tops of the bodies of George Floyd, Dante Wright, um, Micaiah Bryant, and various others, they're going to do it. 
and it's gotten so bad that they're willing to endorse rioting and looting in order to get their narrative. That is a horrible, horrible idea. Okay, the First Amendment allows you to protest, but it doesn't allow you to riot. And I'm sorry, but I don't care how tough your life was. I know a lot of people who've had some pretty crummy lives, and they don't go and loot the local Walmart. All right? When George Floyd died, and everyone decided to loot everything, when Dante Wright died, and everyone just decided to loot everything, you think you're really doing justice to George Floyd, to Dante Wright, by looting the local Walmart, we 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 gonna steal some shoes for George Floyd. What are you gonna steal a TV for Dante Wright? Yeah, I'm sure Dante Wright's dying wish for for you to have those eighty dollar Nike shoes. No, looting, rioting, never okay. All right, I, doesn't matter how bad your life is, and but the Democrats will promote this because it's whatever they can do to get people on their side to see their narrative. Cities can burn for all they care as long as. They get their narrative across as long as they can hold on to their voter base. It's horrible. It's horrible. And all of last summer in 2020, Democrats were blaming Donald Trump for this because he was the easiest thing to blame since last G's. He was so easy to blame. And and now it's kind of funny watching them kind of walk that back, how in last year they're like, oh, it's it's all Donald Trump's fault. It's all his fault that these killings are happening. It's all these, it's all his fault that these riots are happening, even though it was Democrats who were in charge of the local police forces that refused to do nothing. And now it's funny watching them kind of walk that back because now that Joe Biden's president, they have to pretend like they can't use the same standard because, you know, if it was all the president's fault that these riots and, and killings happen, then uh, it would be Joe Biden's fault and they can't have that. So it's kind of funny seeing them walk that back after like entire summer of of burning, like when the uh, the Minneapolis DA and mayor come out and say they're going to not allow any looting or rioting after an entire summer of allowing looting and rioting. I find that kind of humorous. It doesn't help anyone. Rioting and looting doesn't help anyone. And what you're going to see as a result is you're going to see a lot of these people leave. You're going to see a, a Detroit and all of these, these cities that allow rioting and looting. You're going to see police officers quit because they can't do their jobs without getting scrutiny or harassment, or both, so they're going to quit. That's going to cause an increase of crime, and it already has in major cities. What has happened is these cities have stopped enforcing certain crimes, Baltimore being one of them, and crime has spiked dramatically. And then on top of that, every time the police try to enforce crime, they get a news coverage on how they're racist and how evil, and then the entire mob comes after them, and they can't do the job. You think police officers are going to want to sign up? You think people are going to stay on the force for that? No, they're not going to stay on the force for that. They're going to quit. They're going to quit. Crime is going to go up, and everyone who can leave is going to leave, and that's going to leave all the people who can't leave stuck in these cities without a police force where they're going to be subject to even more crime and more death. That doesn't sound like a good combination to me. But again, Democrats don't care. Media doesn't care. It's not going to affect them. They got their own private police forces. They got their own private security. They don't care what happens to everyone else. It's whatever can promote their narrative. Now, I'm going to show you a great example of how these protests should go down. Because there's a way to get the, your message across without rioting and looting, no matter how upset you are. So I'm going to take Knoxville, Tennessee. Honestly, God bless the state of Tennessee. The state of Tennessee is a phenomenal state. And if you share conservative values, if you share Judeo-Christian values, Goodness gracious, come down here because you are going to love every single thing about this state. So, Knoxville, Tennessee. Now, I've been hyping up Knoxville as the conservative city. That's only partly true. Knox County is very, very conservative. The city itself, where I am, the downtown, 
is like a light blue. I think UT is the only solidly blue area of the city. It's but it's like light blue, so it's it's leaning Democrat. But the county's really, really red. Obviously, everything else in Tennessee is solid red. So there was a Black Lives Matter protest last night, the night before, and there's probably going to be one tonight. In all honesty, over a killing of a uh, a black kid. And now to to cover the story very briefly, uh, there was a school shooting. And by shooting, I mean only one person died, and that was the shooter who was black. And they're protesting this cop killing this kid. Now, I've seen the body cam footage, and this is the most clear-cut case of self-defense I've ever seen in my life. What happened was, so the kid comes to school armed. He has an altercation with his former girlfriend. His former girlfriend's mom calls the police for domestic abuse call. So the police show up. They find him in the bathroom. He has a loaded gun in his jacket. Loaded. You can see it sticking through the, the coat in the, the body cam footage. So the police, they don't even draw their guns. Their first reaction is, okay, we're going we're gonna to grab him. So they grab his arm. Not the arm with the gun, his other arm. His gun was in his left arm. They grabbed his right arm. His gun goes off. A bullet hits a trash can right next to one of the officers, and the officers pull out their guns and they shoot him. That's the most clear-cut case of self-defense I've ever seen in my life. Yet there's a Black Lives Matter protest. But anyway, so they protest. And I didn't even know what was going on. That's how non-existent it was. But there was a pretty sizable protest, apparently. And I went down just earlier today to look at the areas that they were protesting, which were the police headquarters and the, the downtown Gay Street. I went to both those places. Couldn't tell there had been a protest. That's how protests should go. That is how every protest should go. So I want to thank the protesters for being peaceful. And I also want to thank the Knoxville police force for probably putting the fear of God into them in order to keep them peaceful. Because I may not like what those protesters say, but they have every right to say it. They have every right to protest as long as it stays a protest. Once it becomes a riot, you don't have that right. So, and the state of Tennessee is just phenomenal about this. They don't tolerate any of this crap. Last summer when, when Chaz Chop was a thing in Seattle, the governor of Tennessee, Bill Lee, basically dared them to try it in Nashville. There were some rumors that another one might pop up in Nashville. He, he, he put up his hands and said, I dare you. Try. Try and set up an autonomous zone here in the state of Tennessee and see what happens. So the police force are very much no-nonsense when it comes to riots. But when it comes to protests, they're fine with it. Knoxville is a perfect example. Two back-to-back nights of protests. Nothing's been broken. There's been no arrests. There's been no injuries. Imagine that. It's crazy. It's crazy when you actually remain peaceful and not CNN peaceful where like things are on fire, but like they still think it's peaceful. When it's actually peaceful and you protest, you can protest outside the police precinct, which is what they did. No arrests, no violence, no damage. Everything's hunky-dory. That's awesome. And then compare that to Minneapolis where everything's on fire. Some businesses have been looted twice, once for George Floyd, once for Dante Wright. Everyone's wanting to leave these areas because crime is spiking. There's no police. Everything's getting burned to the ground. And then look at Tennessee. Everyone's flocking to Tennessee because they actually believe in law and order in this state. And it's phenomenal. And it's just a clear contrast of conservative and liberal values. The democratic values are okay with looting and burning as long as they get what they want. And the Republicans aren't. Just look... Compare the George Floyd riots to January 6th for a second. 
You have George Floyd rides in Minneapolis. Fiery but peaceful protest, mostly peaceful. Show me in the Constitution where it says protests have to be peaceful. And then January 6th, where you have Democrats and Republicans alike. Democrats because it fits their narrative. But even Republicans are like, this is wrong. This is wrong. You should never get violent. You should not do this. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Both sides condemn it when it's a Republican riot. When it's a Democratic riot, only Republicans denounce it. It shows you the the stark contrast between the two values. And honestly, it's why I can't be a Democrat because they're so hypocritical. They're so they don't even believe their own policies. They're so hypocritical. And that's one of my main reasons. But don't worry, it gets even worse. Because if it wasn't bad enough to endorse rioting and to endorse looting, no, now now you can't prosecute certain crimes because a disproportionate amount of minorities commit those crimes. Or sorry, I should say more people of minorities commit those crimes. Not disproportional, because if you look at the proportionality, that about equals out. But no, because more black people than white people get arrested for this crime, or more Latino people than white people get arrested for this crime, therefore the, the crime must be racist, therefore we just have to get rid of it altogether. And this is a horrible, 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 horrible idea. You want to talk about a way that'll get people to flee the cities faster than they already are, do this. Do this. San Francisco is a great example. And now, oh man, now my my old city of Baltimore is doing something similar, which is great because if Baltimore wasn't bad enough having the second highest murder rate of any city in the U.S., second only to St. Louis, uh, they're now uh, going to not enforce even more crimes, which is, oh, yay. I'm sure everyone in Baltimore is just so happy about that because Baltimore is such a tourist attraction as it is, and people totally aren't scared to go there because they're afraid they're going to get shot. But no, they're now in Baltimore, and this is for all my people back home. I'm doing you a public service announcement, all right? Baltimore is no longer going to enforce minor traffic violations, trespassing, public defecation or urination, open containers, Drugs or drug paraphernalia, um, so or prostitution. So yeah, it, just making Baltimore a better place, one not enforced crime at a time. It's great. So uh, I recommend. Um, of oh well, actually I don't recommend because this would be wrong. But just saying, uh, they're not going to prosecute you if you say go to the mayor's house and like crap on her porch. But you see how ridiculous this is. They're not going to enforce certain crimes, and they're doing it solely because more people of, of color commit these crimes than, than don't commit these crimes. Or, sorry, that's a bad way to word it. More people commit these crimes of color than, than white people do. And that's the reason we need to get rid of the crime altogether. So if, by theory, if you know more black people than white people are arrested for murder, and I don't know if that's true or not, but let's say it is for the sake of this specific argument, then we should just stop prosecuting for murder because that's racist. You know, more black people are being arrested for murder than white people. So racist. It's the same principle. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. You think that by not enforcing trespassing that you're going to encourage people to invest in Baltimore? Why would they? If they know that their place is going to get broken into and they're not going to get prosecuted for it, you think that's going to encourage people to go to Baltimore? Or for example, like public defecation, you think people are going to want to shop in front of a place where there's a dude pooping right in front of it? No, no, they're not. This doesn't help anyone, but Democrats don't care. It's all about pushing their narrative. Their narrative is the American system is racist because no one wants to be a racist. So we're going to put this label on the American system. It's racist. And then they're going to tie everything they possibly can to it. Everything. 
everything from certain crimes not being enforced to endorsing rioting and looting to racist soap dispensers. Yes, soap dispensers are now racist. Why are they racist, you might ask? Because they force you to show the lightest part of your skin in order to dispense the soap. Yeah, you can't make this stuff up. Everything is racist. Everything is sexist. Sexist string cheese, sexist air conditioning. Again, those are also things. I know. Crazy world we live in. But it's whatever fits the narrative. So congratulations, Baltimore. Congratulations, Democrats. You have made the inner cities a worse place. You haven't helped anything, all right? The start of the Black Lives Matter movement, what has actually gotten better since they became a thing? Has anything actually gotten better? Because I can name a lot of things that have gotten worse from this, this organization. A lot of cities have burned. A lot of people are have been arrested. A lot of people have been injured. Some people have been killed. A lot of people have lost their livelihoods. Has anything actually gotten better from this organization? Mm, I can't think of anything. But what do I know? I, uh, I don't fit the Democratic narrative. So oopsies, sorry. But anyway, enough about that because I'm sure that everyone who's listening has heard about these stories in some capacity and has already formulated opinion. So let's go on to something a little bit more interesting and also kind of close to home. So recently, there's been a proposal to make D.C. a state. Now, there is multiple, multiple things wrong with this. The first thing being that D.C. is not its own territory, right? Maryland owns D.C. D.C. is essentially has a lease from Maryland to own that property. So D.C. doesn't even own the property to start. Secondly, the whole purpose of D.C. being its own territory is that it's not subservient to any state. It's its own territory. It can make its own rules governing its own territory. But if it becomes a state, well, then now that state essentially has control over the federal government. And if that state has control over the federal government, what's to prevent it from voting itself more goodies at the expense of the other states? Because right now, D.C.'s budget is solely reliant on the House of Representatives. Their money is comes from federal funds. Federal funds are delegated and distributed by the House of Representatives, which comes from the various states and their representatives. So it's a perfect balance of the states make up the federal government, and the federal government then gives D.C. its budget. But now if D.C. is allowed to vote, what's to stop them from essentially boosting their own budget at the behest of every other state? It creates an improper power dynamic. And let's be frank, the real reason that Democrats are pushing this bill is not because they want equal rights for D.C., whatever that means. D.C. already has fully equal rights. They vote. They they count in the electoral college. But no, that that's not what they want. They, they don't actually care about that. They just want the extra senators because when someone becomes a state, they get two senators and a representative. But what they care about is the two senators. They're trying to use this as a cheap grab in order to get more senators because they know they can't win through the actual states because the actual states don't like them. So what's the next best thing? Just find a territory that uh, leans Democratic like D.C. and make them a state. That throws off the power dynamic because now there's two new Democratic senators. And if you know anything about the voting bloc in D.C., they haven't voted Republican ever. Not once, not twice. They haven't voted for Republican ever since they've been allowed to vote in the presidential elections. So that's two senators that they've got to lock on until the end of time. 
So every time you uh, you hear the, these Democrats saying that, oh, it's racism or it's unjust that D.C. is not a statehood, first of all, you guys chose to live there, right? All the residents of D.C., if you guys really want to vote, it ain't that far a walk to Maryland. It ain't that far a walk to Virginia. Right? You don't have to live in D.C. You choose to live in D.C. And you get a pretty darn good say for a territory that isn't actually a state, like, don't get enough representation. The seat of the federal government is literally in your backyard, and you're claiming you don't get representation because you don't have two senators. Yeah, my foot. Okay. So if D.C. really wants their statehood, they should start getting their act together because right now their crime rate is uh, really, really, really bad, and uh, it just keeps going up. They have a 30% increase in homicides compared to last year and uh, an additional spike in murders. And there's also an alarming surge in, uh, in carjackings. And there was that uh, that Uber Eats uh, driver who uh, got attacked, but no one's talking about that because um, the uh, the attackers were black. So we're not going to talk about that. So uh, if the District of Columbia actually wants their statehood, uh, maybe they should get their act together and actually start performing like basic governmental duties, like protecting their residents against criminals. Um, and I can't take credit for that. I, uh, I will thank Steve Scalise for for arguing that the the representative from Louisiana. So if DC actually wants their statehood, uh, they should start acting like a state and uh, not like a uh, subservient uh, little little baby who relies on on Big Daddy to do everything for him. So DC should not be a state. Again, you don't want the federal government being subservient to a state because if the federal government is subservient to a state, then they will vote themselves really whatever they want. Not to mention it will throw off the power dynamic and will be used as a way to cram through a bunch of legislation that the Democrats want, but the American people don't. And the last topic I want to discuss for today is COVID-19. Guys, we are nearing the end. Restrictions are going down. Well, depending on what state you live in, restrictions are going down. Cases are going down. Deaths are going down. We're nearing the end. It's great. It's great. It's great. And it's funny because this COVID-19 pandemic, looking back on it, has been a great example of the contrast between Republicans and Democrats. Democrats, as I mentioned earlier, like that control. They want, they believe government should be more involved in your lives. Republicans tend to lean toward the more traditional American values and government should be less involved in your lives. And that has been so evident during this pandemic and is so evident now. Where you look at the blue states, they've been locked down. They've been, you haven't been able to do anything. You haven't been able to go to church, go to restaurants, and everyone hates it. And everyone's leaving. And you look at the red states, and everything's been open, and life has gone on, even here in Knoxville, which is a pretty big city. Right now, the only restriction we have is we have to wear masks inside. There's no social distancing. There's no restaurant curfew. There's no seating capacity. There's no capacity limits of any kind. You just have to wear a mask inside. We're nearing the end of this thing, and it's, it's wonderful. And I want to take this time to say, uh, mostly to my conservative friends, that uh, if you haven't already, I would strongly recommend you guys going out and getting the vaccine. I know there's a bunch of hullabaloo on the market and floating out there saying that, oh, it's dangerous, it's it's this, it's that, it's the other thing. Okay, no, no, no. The vaccine is very safe, guys, all right? Yes, it hasn't been tested for very long, but it's a safe vaccine. It passed all of the tests it needed to, it's safe, it's fine, and just because something ha doesn't have long-term testing, 
doesn't mean you shouldn't go out and get it. Okay? A lot of things haven't been long-term tested. A lot of things can't be long-term tested, yet you use risk assessment all the time anyway. All right? The vaccine's safe. The vaccine's fine. I've had my first dose. I'm fine. I had a sore arm for about mm, half a day, but I'm fine. Okay? I know a lot of you out there, a lot of the people who are probably listening to this are probably... I don't want to say anti-vax because that's not entirely accurate, but you're hesitant to get the vaccine. If you're hesitant to get the vaccine because one, because you hate the Democrats or you hate the left and they've been shoving it down your face, well, they can go eat it. All right. Don't listen to them. All right. Should you be forced to get a vaccine? No, you should not be forced to get a vaccine. However, you should be a responsible adult and get one of your own free volition. You know the best way to stop this pandemic? Getting a vaccine. You want to end these restrictions as fast as you can, regardless of whether or not you think they're constitutional. They're here anyway. You want to get rid of them as soon as possible? You get the vaccine. All right? It's safe. For all this nonsense about people not getting the vaccine because, oh my gosh, uh, Johnson & Johnson, there's been some rare blood clots. You want to know how many cases there have been? As of today, before today, there were six. As of today, there were 15. You want to know how many doses have been administrated? In the U.S., about seven million. You know what that means? That means your odds of getting a blood clot from the Johnson and Johnson vaccine are about equal to you being struck by lightning. Yet you don't stay inside your house for fear of getting struck by lightning, or even when it rains outside. You know, you you go from your car to your house, but you you don't stay in your car till it stops raining. So why would you not get the vaccine? I recommend everyone do. Again. Should you be forced to? No. Should you be a responsible adult? And if not for your sake, for the sake of someone else who you could spread it to, just be a good person and get the vaccine. Should you have to? No. If you don't, am I going to hate you? No. But it's the fastest way to get this over with. And we should all want this to be over with. We shouldn't want anyone to die. We shouldn't want anyone to get sick. This is an easy way to stop that. So I would recommend everyone get the vaccine. Uh, That's just my little public service announcement um, from a personal standpoint. Uh, I got the Moderna one. The Moderna one apparently is the most painful of all of them, and I'm fine. I'm totally fine. I got my first dose. I'm getting my second dose in about a week and a half. I'll let you know if you hear me after that. That means I'm fine. I'm hunky-dory. So I recommend everyone going out and getting a vaccine. And for everyone, like I said, who's hesitant, um, you weren't so hesitant when Donald Trump was in office. That's all I can say. I realize the Democrats, again, being hypocritical by when Trump was in office saying that uh, you shouldn't get the vaccine because uh, uh, it was developed under Trump and then immediately once Biden took office said you should get it. I get there's some hesitancy in that. I get there's a little bit of a screw you factor in that. But they're not worth it. Go out, get the vaccine. It's safe, guys. Trust me. A lot of people have gotten this worldwide. Most of them are fine. Your odds of developing some sort of issue from it are about the same as you getting struck by lightning. And finally, before I go today, I did get a few questions that I would like to answer. Uh, So thank you for for all those who sent in some questions. I'm not going to get to all of them today. Uh, I'm just going to pick the first two and I'll save the rest for another time. So the first two questions I got that I wanted to address. First one being, if I had a, to, if you had to hide a key from the government in the U.S. for a week, where would you hide it? 
Uh, well, that's a actually that's a fun question. Um, so if I'm hiding it from the Democrats, I'd probably hide it in the uh, the Atlanta Braves stadium because apparently Georgia is a horrible, evil place, and uh, MLB isn't going to use that stadium anytime soon anyway, since they they moved the All Star game out of there. And because Georgia's so evil, and Democrats don't want to go there. Um, then I just hide it in the Brave Stadium because that's the last place they'd think to look because it's apparently it's the most racist place on earth. So I'd hide it there. If I'm hiding it from the Republicans, um, shoot, I'd probably hide it in San Francisco um, or maybe L.A. or actually probably Minneapolis right now because uh, no Republicans going to want to set foot in there because uh, they don't want to get attacked by a BLM uh, protest, and I'm using protests in quotes. So uh, that would be where I'd hide it from uh, each of the respected parties. So the second question I got was, uh, can Republicans learn anything from Trump and uh, the Trump years without totally embracing Trumpism? So yes, they can. And I think that you're starting to see that right now. So Trump was great in the fact that he fought back. Before Trump... Republicans thought that we can win by by class. You know, we have the the classy guy, we have the nice guy. Um, he's got the better character, and that'll win us the day. Well, eight years of Barack Obama showed us that that's not the case. So then we got Trump because we wanted someone who could fight, and he had all of the fight and none of the class. And we found out after four years of Trump that the fight is good, but you also need some class to level out with that fight. So the balance, uh, what we can do is we need to find someone who fights like Trump, but who has the class of, let's say, Mitt Romney or, or George Bush. We need someone in between because Republicans need to learn how to fight, and they're starting to do that now, which is great. They're starting to do that with, uh, with gun regulations. They're starting to do that with uh, all the illegal immigration laws or lack thereof from the Biden administration. So they're finding ways to fight back. That's great. That's great. As for a presidential candidate, um, the perfect man that I've seen who's a mix of class and fight is Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. The man knows how to punch. The man knows how to deflect punches coming at him. And the man can do it in a way without completely demeaning the other person. He does it with an element of class, which is why uh, Democrats in the media are going after him hard and have been for the past year. Because they're trying to knock him out early for 2024. They sense that he's going to be a great a Republican candidate. So they want to knock him out early. They're trying to, to knock him with anything that they can find, which is why they ran a horrible and false 60 minutes advertisement, or sorry, 60 minutes program against him in which uh, many of the people who they they discussed, like Palm Beach was uh, was one of the areas that they discussed, um, where the mayor of Palm Beach said, yeah, this, this part of the documentary is completely false. And Keep in mind, the mayor of Palm Beach is a Democrat, and DeSantis is a Republican. So my point is, is that they're trying to knock him out early, which means that he's probably a great candidate, and it means they they sense fear, um, they sense a rival in him. So if the Democrats are knocking him hard this early, that means he's probably a good a good pick for for president right now. And he has the fight, and he's got the class. So right now, look to Ron DeSantis because I think he is the perfect uh, takeaway from the Trump years without fully embracing Trumpism. So keep an eye on him because I think he'll be really, really good. And that's it, guys. Thank you again for listening. Thank you uh, for putting up with my long absence. I will try to get this next episode up much, much, much faster. Until then, please uh, tell everyone about uh, the Principles and Party podcast, and I will see you guys next time. Take care and God bless.